Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. I said you'd read the first first four or so verses. If you had time, maybe you had, maybe you hadn't when you went home, I said this morning. And we'll look at it in a few moments. But Luke, chapter 4. But we're going to read from verse 18 to start off with this evening. Luke 4 and verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it unto the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son. Let's stop there, but keep your Bible open. Father, take your word, I pray, and wing it home. Do with it what you will, but help me in my frailty, with my inabilities, Lord. Help me to bring your word to this people, to your people, to encourage them that need encouraged, to help those that need help, to bring guidance to those that need guidance. Conviction to hearts that need convicted. And I pray, Father, if there's one here not yet saved, Father, that you would use your word to bring them to the cross. That Christ may be beheld by them in faith. And, O God, that you would be glorified. So we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. This evening our title is The Ministry of the Anointed One. The ministry of the anointed one. The Lord Jesus Christ is in his hometown. That is where he grew up in Nazareth. And he entered into a synagogue on the Sabbath day. Verse 16 says, And stood up for to read. Jesus stood up for to read. Notice verse 17. There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament. In the book, or as it would have been, a scroll. The scroll of Isaiah was delivered unto Jesus. Now, we don't read in the scriptures that Jesus asked for that prophet's scroll to be given unto him. All we know is that the minister of the synagogue took the scroll and gave it to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, when he reads this, and he reads, and our Bible says, he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach. Then he goes on with his preaching. And when we see this, surely you and I can see tonight that this is none other than the providence of God. That the providence of God in this is this, that Jesus from verse 18 Right down to verse 19 until it says he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. From verse 18 to 19, Jesus was quoting from the prophet Isaiah. He was quoting from Isaiah chapter 61. And notice he searched out the place. There was no chapters and no verses and he knew exactly where to find it. He even says unto them these words in verse 21, and he began to say unto them, them, this day, this scripture, is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? And the idea of this is Jesus says to them, what Isaiah the prophet had written over 700 years previous, possibly 750 years beforehand, He says, he had written this, he says, about me and about this day. 700 plus years beforehand, Isaiah had written this. 
Jesus walks in that day to the synagogue of Nazareth and those Jews who were sitting about there and they're about to start their worship, he stands up for the read and the minister gives him the scroll of Isaiah. Now that is the providence of God. That is the providence of God. What great and precious promises have we in God, brothers and sisters. And what great and precious providence have we from God. Notice what John Flavel, the old Puritan, wrote about God's providence. He writes, We find a multitude of providences so timed to a minute that had they occurred just a little sooner or later, they had mattered little in comparison with what now they do. Certainly, it cannot be chance, but counsel, that so exactly works in time. And what John Flavel was saying in instances like this, from 700 and 750 years BC, or before Christ, we find that All this time later, Jesus walks into the synagogue of Nazareth at a special time. We're going to look at it tonight. With a special announcement. We're going to look at it tonight. With a special point of view. And we'll look at it tonight. And here the minister gives unto him Isaiah the prophet who had written it. Isn't that marvelous? That God's word is so accurate. Accurate enough that down through the years he knew his son would walk right into that synagogue. Surely it makes you think, it made me think, how many times has providence protected you? How many times has providence led you when you didn't know or fed you or guided you? Providence is the foreseeing care and guidance of God. Providence is the manifestation of divine care and direction. Providence is God omnisciently directing the universe and the affairs of all men. That's providence from the sovereignty of God. The sovereign, great and almighty God in his providence is guiding all things to their completion and to their end. Providence is seen most certainly in the giving of God's Son to die for us. God provided the Lamb. God provided the sacrifice. God provided that which we needed for our redemption and our full salvation. Providence is a marvelous thing. Luke chapter 22 and verse 53, the Lord Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, the night he is arrested. And those men who come to arrest him from the praetorium guard are standing all around him. His disciples have flown, they have fled and left him. And notice in Luke chapter 22 and verse 53, what the Lord Jesus says here about providence, about sovereignty. Luke 22 and 53, he says unto them, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. But this is your hour in the power of darkness. You know what Jesus is saying to them? This moment in time was not orchestrated of you, but rather it was known in the eternity from before the foundation of the world. This hour, this moment in time, and this is the time for the power of darkness to work its worst. Brothers and sisters, you and I are living in the days when there have, there are, as it were, and they are living and they are breathing among us to work their work of evil. But they only have but a short time. They have a short time because the king is coming again. Notice here, God's sovereignty is that he is in charge of all things. Not when man says he can or if man says he can't. God is in charge at all times over all things in all places. And so we find here that the Lord says to them, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Providence. 
Providence allowed this to happen. Brothers, sisters, some things assail us in life. Some things come against us in life and we don't understand why. But I can tell you, if you're a child of God and in the province of your father, you just hold on for all things will work together for the good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Providence is God's sovereignty. Providence led the minister of the synagogue to deliver the scroll of Isaiah to Christ. Providence gave the Son of God to be handed over toward us of darkness, that he would manifest God's divine benevolence toward us, and that he would be arrested and tried, that he would go to the cross, and that he would die in our place as our substitute. He would shed his most precious blood that we might be forgiven of all of our sins, that we might be redeemed. Here's something I want to ask you, friend, if you don't know the Savior. If you're not saved, what do you think you'll give God for your salvation? If Christ was the means, the method, and the payment that God paid, what makes a man and a woman think that they can be saved without trusting in the blood of Christ. In Luke 4 and verse 17, look what it says. He found the place where it was written. These things sort of capture me because I, in my, in my imagination of this, I can see him open that scroll and I can see him going through those Hebrew letters. I can see him not going left to right, but right to left, right down the scroll until he gets to where Isaiah 61 would be in our Bible. But it's not in chapter and it's not in verse. He knows the exact place he's going to. He knows the exact reason he's going to read it. And he knows the exact purpose that he was sent for. Brothers and sisters, Christ didn't come in a whim to see who he could save, if he could save any. He came for those his father gave him. And he came with a purpose to win the lost. Notice he found the place where it was written. And Jesus reads from Isaiah 61. Let's just briefly look at it for a few moments. Isaiah 61. And this is what was written all those years ago. And this is where the Lord Jesus Christ read from. Isaiah 61 and verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Notice, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now notice here, they're trees of righteousness in Christ. They are the planting of the Lord and not of man nor denomination. They are God's own people. And God hath made us righteous in Christ. And he hath called us his own. Notice here then, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus says in verse 18, pardon me in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach. Now, Jesus had just been baptized in the River Jordan. If you will go with me, please, back to the book of Luke. We're trying to keep it handy for you. We'll keep it in the one book as much as we can. And Jesus had been baptized in the Jordan and the Spirit came upon him. The Spirit of God came upon him. And Jesus had been just through a great testing and trial and temptation of the devil in the wilderness. Now he's out of the wilderness and he goes to Nazareth and into the synagogue. But let's just look here. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. Notice, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. Now one must wonder, 
Since he is God, since he's divine, why must he be full of the Holy Spirit? Remember, because he's still a man. He's a man, yet he's God. He's fulfilling all righteousness. And notice this. And being full, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan. Now notice the language here. And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Verse 14 then, please. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Notice that. Jesus was led by the Spirit. The Spirit came on him in the river Jordan. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's tempted and he's tried and he's tested for 40 days and 40 nights. Now he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit and he goes to Nazareth, uh, into the synagogue. He's given by providence the scroll of Isaiah. And when he finds the place, he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings and so on. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it powerful that the father knew exactly what his son would do? He knew exactly, and he bowed and yielded himself to the leading of the Spirit of God into the wilderness, out of the wilderness, and into Nazareth, and into the synagogue. And then by providence, he receives the scroll that he might read the word of his father. That when he reads it, his ministry is set to go forth right to Calvary. Who came and died. What a saviour. People think this is just a story about a man who came and died on a cross. This is from the councils of heaven. This is what this is. Notice, (coughs) excuse me. Notice this. There are three offices of anointing in the scriptures. I want you to catch this. There's three offices of anointing in the scriptures. First of all, there's the office of a prophet, and they were anointed. There's the office of a priest, and they were anointed. And there's the office of a king, and they were anointed. The prophet to Israel. There's a priest for Israel and king over Israel. That is a prophet to us, the priest for us, and king over us. And all of it is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of it is found in him. There are three sayings that Jesus has proclaimed by his father that Jesus is his son. For example, in Matthew 3 and 17, at his baptism when the Spirit came upon him, the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the first one. And the second one is in Matthew 17, whenever Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain, known as the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's changed before them. And his face is shining brighter than the noonday sun, and his clothes are glistering whiter than fuller's soap could whiten them. And there he's, his deity, as it were, is bursting through his humanity. And the voice from heaven comes and says, This is my beloved son, hear ye him. And the third one is in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5, quoting, the father says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And brothers and sisters, the three of these equal the three anointings or the three offices that Jesus is anointed for to be the man with the anointed ministry of the father. For example, as we read Isaiah 61 and 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 22, it says, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Prophets were anointed. Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. Here, touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets, the anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. And then in 1 Kings 19 and verse 16, Elijah is told to go and find Elisha in a field. And it says, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abima, 
Hona, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. In other words, instead of you, anoint him with oil. A prophet was anointed with oil. Jesus and his anointing was the prophet of God. Secondly, a priest was anointed to minister in the tabernacle. I want you to get that. A priest was anointed to minister in the tabernacle. Exodus 40 and verse 15, it says, And thou shalt anoint them, as I didst anoint their father, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And that is the instructions given to Moses that Aaron's sons of the Levitical uh, priesthood would be anointed in the room of their father as time went on. And that Levitical priesthood was in Israel. They were to be anointed into their office. And then in Numbers 3 and verse 3, it says, These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the priests which were anointed. Notice the priests which were anointed, whom he consecrated to minister in the priest's office. And then in Psalm 133 and verse 1, it says, Behold how good, how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Verse 2, It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. So prophets were anointed for their office. Priests were anointed for their office. And kings were anointed for their office. First Kings chapter 1. On verse 34, it says, David says, And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there, king over Israel, and blow ye with the trumpet, and say, God save the king. Pardon me, God save King Solomon. Notice here, David is saying Solomon will be king. He's to be anointed to be king in the office. Prophet anointed for his office. Priest, anointed for his office. King, were anointed for his office. The Lord Jesus Christ was anointed with the Holy Ghost. They were anointed with oil as a symbol of the Holy Ghost. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost in power. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. Notice David himself was anointed three times. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13. He was anointed by Samuel the prophet. Second Samuel chapter 2 and verse 4, he, he was anointed as king of Judah. And then in Second Samuel anointed, the verse 3, he's anointed as king of Israel. And so David was anointed to be king. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he enters the synagogue anointed of the Spirit, the man with the Spirit without measure, the one who is eternally God clothed and wrapped in flesh, the Son of God and the Son of Man enters Nazareth and right into the synagogue and providence hands him the scroll and he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a teaching that has been going around, especially by one or two, let's uh, say big name, if I can call it that, uh, ministries in the United States. One in particular has written a book denying that Jesus was Messiah when he came. Now, we're going to look at this because Messiah means anointed. Messiah means Christ means anointed. And we're going to look a little further at this. Daniel chapter 9, please. Daniel chapter 9 is a a theological minefield for those who want to uh, teach on it. We're not doing it tonight. Daniel chapter 9. It must be one of the most argued over chapters in the whole of Holy Writ. (laughs) Uh, uh, But we want to look at one verse here for a moment. Daniel 9, verse 24, please. It says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Now, the house of Judah are now taken away. The house of Israel are carried away captive, never returned, migrated. Now, the, the, the house of Judah are in Babylon. And this is to Daniel himself. The angel says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. And upon the holy city, thinking of Jerusalem, notice, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, 
to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision of prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25 tells us that the one to do this is Messiah the Prince shall come. Messiah the Prince shall come. The word Messiah here, uh, the actual, an actual rendering or root word for it is the word Mashiach. Mashiach. And the word for prince here is the word Naged. So the Mashiach Naged is coming, they're saying. Now take note of this. The word Naged, it's from a root word from Nagad. And this is what it means. One who stands out. One who is manifest. That's what it means. One who stands out. One who is manifest. And so Messiah the Prince will come to do six things. Here they are briefly. First of all, to finish the transgression. To finish the breaking of the law of God. Sin is a transgression of the law. And to finish the breaking, in other words, to pay the penalty, to pay the debt of it. And Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, speaking of the cross of our Savior, again the prophet hundreds of years before he even came as a baby. And notice what he says. For he, the Lord Jesus, speaking of him, for he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord or Yahweh hath laid on him. Or the Father hath laid on his Son the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. Here Christ came to finish the transgression. You know what he did? He kept the law we couldn't keep. And he paid our debt that we couldn't pay. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 10 says in verse 12, reading onward. Hebrews chapter 10, speaking of the Lord Jesus. Now Isaiah's pointing forward. Forward to the cross. Forward to Christ. Hebrews after the cross and the ascension is now pointing back to the cross. Pointing back to what Christ hath done. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12 says, But this man, what man? The Lord Jesus Christ. But this man, after he had offered, listen, one sacrifice for sins forever. Not a sacrifice every time you gather together. The breaking of bread is not a sacrifice. It's a remembrance. The mass, they say, is a sacrifice, the literal body, blood, bone, deity, sinews of, and divinity of Christ. They say when you take it, you take him in. Brothers and sisters, it's just a wafer. It always was just a wafer. It's flour and water. But that's all it ever be. For he has paid the debt once and for all, never to be repeated. He has finished the transgression. He has ended all sacrifice. But us man, after he had offered one sacrifice forever, sat down at the right hand of God. When he sat down, your work's done. Isn't that right? It's a sign meaning when he had paid your debt in full, when it was finished, and he died, and he rose the third day, and he ascended into glory, and he's glorified, he sat down, Down by him. The work was done. Completed by him. Sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 13. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. He's going to be in heaven with the finished work. For those that believe in him until his enemies are ready to be trampled under his feet. And then in verse 14. For by one offering, notice by one offering, not by many, by one offering, he hath perfected forever. Perfected forever. Would you say perfected? Would you say it again? Would you say it louder? How long forever? He's perfected forever them that are sanctified. 
In other words, when the Father sees me, even with my failures, I'm still perfect in his sight. The word perfect is the word telaeo, and it means to accomplish, to finish, listen, to bring to an end. To bring to a state of completion, he finished the transgressions. Secondly, to make an end of sins. Hebrews 9 and verse 26. But now once in the end of the world, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I just want to pause for a moment. He appeared. Remember Messiah the Prince, the one who will manifest? He will appear. He appeared. He came on the scene as a human being. Birthed from the womb of a virgin. But now once in the end of this world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He was born to live the perfect life, to die a perfect death. But he's alive again. And he's coming back. Can't wait. I can't wait. Notice the old Levitical economy. That's all of the the works. All the things that man had added in has come to an end. Messiah has appeared and manifested and listen, he was manifest at the cross at the only, as the only Savior, the Lamb of God. And listen, at the cross, it corresponds with the Old Testament. Stay with me to tell you. Here, it corresponds to uh, the appearance of Israel's high priests that we heard were anointed. Those high priests, when they were anointed, they had to go to the brazen laver. And there the blood was. There the sacrifice was. There the, the blood would stream out from there. And there it was to to make a a, a ransom for Israel. And Christ on the cross, it happened in the Day of Atonement in Israel, but now here, Christ on the cross, we find that he's the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb for us. Here he's hanging between heaven and earth. Here he is hanging, bleeding, and dying in an agony. And here he is, he's dying on his own now. The labor of a cross. The sacrifice of the Lamb. Here we find this all fits together. Messiah came. Notice Messiah came. The anointed one came to put away sin. If he's not Messiah, he didn't put away sin. Thirdly, quickly, to make reconciliation for iniquity. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Romans 5 and verse 10 says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Listen, brothers and sisters, everyone who's not saved are an enemy of God. And they might even say, but I'm not an enemy of God. But the Bible says that you are an enemy of God. And you need reconcile, join together with God again. And the only way you can do that is through the reconciliation that was made through the blood of his son. The reconciliation that Christ had made at the cross. And that's believing that Christ has died for your sin. And that he is your only means and method and payment for your sin. And that when you trust in the blood, you're reconciled to your father. Notice here, brothers and sisters, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. If there was another way, the Bible would tell us. Notice everything we've said tonight. It's about sovereign will of a sovereign God sending his son to sovereignly die. Everything is about Christ By the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
Here's the cross by the death of his son. Here's the resurrection. Well, saved by his life. He rose again on the third day. So then we look at 2 Corinthians 5 and 19. The apostle says, I love the wee words, to it. To it. To it, God was in Christ. God was in Christ. I want you to get it into you. People are robbing Christ of his deity this, this, these days. To it, God, Theos, was in the anointed one. Now, it doesn't mean he was in him like God would come and live in us. It means he was God. <laughs> his very essence and being is that of one and the Father. To it, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Do you know what this means here, imputing? It gives the word to, to tally up, to add up. You get something, you add something up. So, see that Ken Davidson fellow? he done this, he thought that, he was here, he was there, he done wrong, he spoke, he said, the actions, all my life. And just in case you're wondering if there's any more of this mountain of sin and of debauchery and all this mountain of sin, of, of depravity that was building up on their great mountain that I was under that I couldn't escape from nor pay my way out of. And it's all added up, it's imputing onto me. All my life. And if you want to add on top of that, there's another mountain just for your old nature. Put it on top of you. See, the difference is, you see, he did not count that against me because I trusted in the blood that he's bought me. The blood's washed it all away. The blood of the lamb washed it all away. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? You know, I heard a preacher say, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, if you, want, if you try to add anything for your salvation to what Christ has done on the cross, if you try even to add so much as pick a daisy and come to him like Cain's offering and hand him as much as a daisy, he says our salvation is null and void. It's all in the blood of the Lamb. It's in the blood. Notice here, fourthly, to bring in everlasting righteousness. I love that everlasting righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin. That is, his father made the son to be sin. For us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What was it that says? Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what he's saying? The Father made him to be sin. Who knew no sin? He was sinless. That we might be made the righteousness of God. You see, brothers and sisters, when we have come to the cross in repentance and faith, by the way, birthed by God. When we come to that place, and we, had, as it were, came under the fountain of shed blood and trusted in the payment of Christ and his blood on the cross. When we did that, you see, he had paid our debt. He had took the penalty, and we took his righteousness. He was perfect, spotless, holy, and harmless. 
He is without sin. And he knew no sin. He did no sin. Oh, this one. That's, that's how your father sees you when you're under the blood. When you're in his son. Isn't that powerful? Rotten, filthy, guilty, vile, hell-deserving sinners. And now we're glory-bound. You know what he's doing? He's bringing many sons unto glory. Many daughters unto glory. Notice this. Bring in everlasting righteousness. Fifthly is to seal up the vision and prophecy. To seal up the vision and prophecy. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy the law but to fulfill. Jesus fulfilled the law and every prophecy. What did he do in the synagogue? He walks in and he has the scroll handed off him. I say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to preach. And then what does he say? This day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Isn't that what he said? He's fulfilled the prophet. Isaiah 53, on the cross, he's fulfilled the prophet. Hanging on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He fulfilled Psalm 22. And we could go on and on and on. To destroy, but notice he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but fulfill. And listen to what Peter says in Acts 3 and verse 18. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer. Look, people tend to think that the cross is a New Testament concept. <clears throat> The cross isn't just a New Testament concept. It was spoken of in the Old Testament. But it was ordained in glory. <laughs> Foreordained in glory. The cross is not, uh, uh, well, we've done wrong. We didn't make it. And God got it wrong the first time uh, in the Old Testament. So try again. I know, lads. Let's go for the cross. As if God couldn't do it the first time, so he done it the second. Brothers and sisters, this was the plan of God from before the foundation of the world. And Christ came in time. And he says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Listen, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And I've said it before, and I've said it when it's been raining, maybe, and maybe Gordon or Lloyd's at the door, and I run in, and it's, oh, it's raining, you're wet. And I go, oh, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, we have to be happy in all days and all this sort of stuff. That's not what that means. The Lord sang that in the great Hallel. The night he was betrayed. The night he was in the upper room breaking bread before the cross. And this is what he sang to his father. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad. The cross is a day of rejoicing. The cross was a fulfillment of prophecy. The cross is where we find and find our salvation. Notice, lastly, sixthly, to anoint the most holy. Luke 4, 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach. <coughs> Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, Peter says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 22, and we have spoke of it, was the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ in the River Jordan. Luke 3 and 22, as he's being baptized, it says, And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. I love it because he says, In thee I am well pleased. Do you see the Old Testament sacrifices? They appeased the Father. They appeased our God. They appeased him. But when Christ came, he says, I am well pleased. Brothers and sisters, there's no one like the Lord. So let me look at the self-confession as we round this up. The self-confession of the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the Messiah. 
In John 4, we have the story of the woman at the well. And he tells her her whole life story. And in verse 25, it says, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. Or the anointed one comes, which we call Christ the anointed. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, you ready? He says, when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus told her about her whole life. When Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. And listen to what Jesus says. I that speak unto thee am he. (laughs) Now what Bible are these big wig preachers reading? In all seriousness, what Bible are they reading? If he be not the Messiah... If he came not as Messiah, the Christ, and if he is not God, wrapped, clothed, veiled, and manifest in flesh, the Neged, or the Negad of God, the one manifest to take it away. If he be not any of those, then we're lost. He is anointed Listen, he's anointed prophet to bring God to man. A prophet brings God to man. That's what he does. Prophet, when did he get it? He came down, but he came, he brought God to man. A priest brings man to God. What is he doing? So he came down and he went to the cross And he prophesied and he spoke and he filled the law and the prophets and he died on the cross. See, he brought God to man. Now he went to the tomb and he rose again the third day. He's ascended and glorified and sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Or he's sitting in a place of power and authority. And what's he doing? He's ministering in the heavenly tabernacle as the high priest of Israel ministered in the earthly tabernacle and in the temple. Only he's under the order of Melchizedek, the eternal priesthood, not Levitical priesthood. But notice, prophet brings God to man. He now brings man to God. He's standing there, showing his hands, his wounds, and a king. He's the priest bringing you and I to him. And a king. A king rules over the affairs of man. Listen. Bring in God, the man, now man, the God, when he comes again as king, he will be ruling as a man, yet he is fully God. (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? He came down, God in flesh. He went to the cross and paid our debt. Bring in God to man. Then he went to the tomb and he's risen again. He's in glory. Bringing man to God. And he's coming again in glory and great power. And when he comes again, he's coming as a man. Yet he's fully God. And he's our King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the Christ we serve. That's the Lord we love. This is my very last point. In Luke 4 and verse 19. The Lord, after reading his mission statement out in verse 18, in verse 19 he says, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. Something missing. In Isaiah's prophecy of Isaiah 61, remember now there's no verses, no chapters. He just would have read and stopped. Isaiah 61 and verse 2, it says, To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the Lord stopped there in the, in the synagogue. Listen to what Isaiah says. On the day of vengeance of our God. Isaiah's prophecy hasn't been fully fulfilled yet. On the day of vengeance of our God. He came the first time and graces the Lamb. He's coming back again as the Lion of the tribe of Judah the King of kings and Lord of lords, and there he's going to exact vengeance on every Christ rejecter. Can you see that? The first and second coming in that one little verse. 
says that when he gave the minister the scroll, he sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Means, you know, it gives the idea of in the original text, their necks were stretched out like this. That's the way the Greek reads. It means to stretch out, you know, you're like, we're fastened on him. Is that any wonder? Now you see the claims he's making when he comes and reads that. Providence puts the word in his hand and the word of providence takes him further right to the cross. They're all sitting in their eyes like this. Brothers and sisters, they said in verse 22, they wondered at his gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth and they said, is not this Joseph's son? Hey, listen. What people look at and they say, ah, he's just a man. He's just a man. He's just Joseph's son. Brothers and sisters, we have looked at this. He stood in that synagogue that day and he, he stood among them and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am the prophet, priest, and king of Israel. I'm Savior. I'm Redeemer. I'm sacrifice. And they're all like, this is not Jesus, Joseph's son. You know what's wrong with many of us? Well, for us, our amazement and our astonishment at who Christ is. You know, whenever we get the times, Lord, we don't know what to pray. You know what I say sometimes, Lord? How can we know not what to pray? You're God of glory. I'm privileged. I'm honored. I'm endued and empowered. You've poured your grace out for me. And you allow me, even in my fleshy, carnal, rotten nature, to come by the blood of the Lamb. How could I not come and worship you? God bless him. And God bless you tonight. And God bless his word.